Hey, hey, hey. What's good, fam? It's Tuesdays with Tawana. What's up? Another Tuesday, another opportunity to build community one episode at a time. I am Reverend T. I am Tawana. I am Dr. Tad, your host and your curator for Tuesdays with Tawana, where, like I said, we built community one episode at a time. So if you are joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, Just some rules of engagement. Uh, Just shout me out in the chat. I will uh, insert your voice into this narrative as we talk about the intersectionality of domestic violence and religion. This is part three of our domestic violence series for the month of October. I do realize that it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month as well, and I am a metastatic breast cancer survivor in active treatment, and I chose to focus on domestic violence because unfortunately, We are quick to, some of us are quick to focus on breast cancer awareness, which is beautiful. Uh, The awareness has definitely contributed to my life and has been life-giving. In November, it'll be uh, six years that I have survived uh, metastatic breast cancer, and I'm grateful for those who continue to do research, who continue to support those in the struggle because breast cancer and cancer in in general, I have some experience, um, unfortunately, with my mom who died in 1993 due to complications of multiple myeloma. Hey, brother, good to see you. Thank you for joining at this new time for a little while. so, and cancer is, it's complex, it's, it's challenging, it's difficult. Uh, not only is the treatment grueling, but the uh, side effects to the treatment, how it impacts your body, your fatigue, just a whole litany of, of challenges. So thank you to all of those organizations that truly support women who are surviving and thriving uh, from breast cancer or with breast cancer. And um, I definitely don't wanna minimize the the fight. Uh, I bring awareness to that with my presence as a survivor and a thriver. And I often talk about breast cancer, breast cancer awareness, metastatic breast cancer, the joys, the uh, opportunity to be in community, the challenges and everything in between. Because one thing, um, oftentimes I find that we focus on the perils and the ills of black women, forgetting that we are full of joy. We are beautiful and divine and the struggle is real. We will not feed into the strong black woman trope as the world defines it. But as you see, my shirt says stronger than you think because I am strong and in my strength, 
uh, comes tears. In my strength comes venting to community. In my strength comes lament. In my strength comes prayer and meditation and ritual. In my strength comes fatigue where I am just tired. I'm tired of going to treatment every three weeks, which will happen indefinitely. Um, so, but that all of that is encompassed in my strength. So with domestic violence awareness, we're gonna talk about the intersectionality of domestic violence and religion. And by the end of this, hopefully finding our joy and our strength and how we can move through this together as community. I just attended a five hour training, a beautiful training, although we were talking about domestic violence and intimate partner violence, um, a hard topic, but being in community and sharing our stories and and clarifying uh, definitions because it's important to understand that domestic violence is not just physical, it's it's a, a litany of other ills, uh, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, financial abuse, sexual abuse. I learned about digital abuse today. Um, there, there is a host of ways and, and it could be an intimate partner. It could be the intimate partner and children. So not only is there a primary um, abuse, but there's a secondary trauma that comes along with that. You have the primary trauma of the abuse and the secondary trauma. So that's a lot, right? It's a lot. But imagine someone living this. You know, it's important that we listen and we learn and we explore and we share our stories and we share our resources so that people don't feel as if they are alone. So if you know of anyone who knows of anyone, who knows of anyone, uh, who is in a domestic violence relationship or in an intimate partner violent relationship, um, feel free to safely share this video with them or mention it or not. Use discernment. Discernment is a huge piece of, of intimate partner violence and domestic violence. And I keep saying both because they're used interchangeably and they mean slightly different things, but we're not gonna focus on those differences right now. Right now, violence is violence and silence does not end the violence. So we are going to speak to this violence and, and, and talk about it and, and un unveil uh, the shame and the guilt and, and, and show it show the experiences to the world so that we can do something about it. I actually learned the history of domestic violence today, which was baffling to me. I knew of, you know, our experience from the African diaspora and being enslaved and, 
you know, women being dehumanized and, and uh, violated and the list goes on and on and on. But a lot of the, the, um, a lot of the domestic violence um, actions come from England that were, and that was brought to the United States and then further dehumanized us through domestic violence because it was okay to beat your wife. You could not get a divorce. You did not have a voice in relationship. And we see that now to this day. Um, we have bills that are being passed, which is great, but we need something national that is really going to address the heinous ills of, of domestic violence. We need to have something where we can collectively come together and, and focus on the one who is being abused versus uh, excusing the person that is um, doing the abusing, right? So, um, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the intersectionality of domestic violence and religion. And it's not an easy topic to discuss. It's, it's not easy to talk about uh, religion and domestic violence and how the two uh, intersect as a form or a modality of, of, of abuse. Um, and I want to use uh, Kimberly Crenshaw's uh, definition of intersectionality because we're not just talking about inter intersections, like two things just crossing uh, haphazardly or um, you know, uh, cars at the intersection. We're not talking about that type of intersection. We are talking about where oppression meets. Like my being a woman and being uh, a and being black is the intersection where power collides with who I be, and the result of that is I end up being dehumanized or marginalized or oppressed. So it's where, it's that place where oppression meets because of power, because of white supremacy, because power over, because of those things, the intersectionality uh, meets. So I just want to, I don't want to misquote um, the Honorable uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, but she says, intersectionality is a lens which uh, you can see where power comes and collides, where it interlocks and intersects. It is not simply that there's a race problem here, a gender problem here, a class problem or LGBTQ problem here. Um, many things that, uh, that many times that framework erases what happens to people who are subject to all of those things. So it is a way to erase, to minimize, to marginalize, to oppress those who are non-white, those of the BIPOC community, those of the LGBTQ community. So we're going to use that definition for the few moments that we have together. So how does domestic violence and religion intersect? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Renita Weems, Reverend Dr., excuse me, Reverend Dr. Renita Weems has a book called Battered Love. If you do this work or want to learn more about this work and religion, please pick up the book Battered Love. Uh, here is a quote. Um, and I'm paraphrasing here. Reverend Dr. Renita Weems states in her book, Battered Love, reading texts that rationalize violence, that eroticize violence, and that take for granted one's, one group's power to destroy another should never be taken lightly. Sermons, the preaching moment talks, expounding on the text, should be liberating, freeing, freeing one from that which is oppressive, dehumanizing, and abusive. Abuse should not be theologically justifiable. And unfortunately, we see, and this is not just the church, we are talking about a multi-faith problem that we're having where these institutions, religious institutions are not addressing domestic violence in a way that is safe, protecting, liberating, supportive, communal, advocating, all of these things are absent when the text, the sacred text, should be liberating. And unfortunately, with the intersectionality of domestic violence and religion, they both come from a very patriarchal, misogynistic or misogynoir, the disdain for Black women, uh, egotistical, and this is not everybody. This is not every mosque. This is not every church. This is, this is, so y'all know me, for those who rock with me on a regular, know that I try my very best to avoid blanket statements because I haven't been to every religious institution in these here disunited states. I have not talked to every single pastor we do have women uh, pastors who happen to be women. We, we, so we have these things happening. There are some pastors who will uh, designate a Sunday for domestic violence or have resources in their religious institution, whether it's in the bulletin or a community board. They'll post the National Domestic Violence Hotline they'll have a ministry, and then there are some that don't. And not only do they not have it, because silence does not end the violence, right? Silence is violence, and it's make, it makes one complicit. But when you then, not only are you silent, but then you take the sacred text to justify the behaviors of demeaning and degrading and dehumanizing and disrespecting and disregarding and silencing Black women. So I, I can speak from my context as Black women and if other people in the indigenous people of color community um, relates to it, 
and insert your narrative because I dare not speak for you and then further perpetuate the silence that happens for women in general. Okay. So when, you know, uh, there is a, another quote here um, where it basically says that oftentimes um, spiritual leaders are the first persons that domestic violence victims will go to. And if you don't have the wherewithal or the desire or the knowledge or the wisdom or the discernment or the love or the compassion or the support of that woman, then you more than likely are going to misguide this woman and justify it through the sacred text. You are going to justify the scripture that says um, you should not divorce. You are going to misdirect this woman to say, stay in your domestic violence situation and risk your life because you've taken a text out of context. Context and the text is so important. Understanding that the text has been translated three times, one, two, three, four, four times until we got to English. So there are some uh, misnomers in the, the translation. And then when our own, when we insert our own thoughts and our own narratives and our own ego, then we end up misdirecting those that come to us for, come to pastors or leaders or spiritual leaders for help. Um, so other texts that just come to mind, women should be silent. That was said in a, at a specific time, at a specific place, for a specific reason, not to be used to marginalize women this day and to encourage people to stay in a violent relationship. And you're using the text, leaders, spiritual leaders are using the text to justify um, women staying in these domestic violent relationships. And when those domestic violence and religion intersect, it oppresses women. It oppresses women to the point where their lives are at stake every day. If a parishioner, a member, a congregant, comes to you as a spiritual leader, and if you don't know what to do, you would be better off calling the National Domestic Violence Hotline and directing them accordingly. But then you have to diminish and dismantle your ego. You have to show love instead of massage noir. You need to compassionately listen instead of just being um, very uh, demeaning and, and, and self-righteous and thinking that you're telling this woman um, or the abused the right thing because it's in your mind. As a matter of fact, you might even be the abuser yourself. There are spiritual leaders who will preach from the pulpit one thing 
and then go home and they are very abusive, whether whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, sexual, whether it's any of those things, they go home and behave one way and come to the religious institution and behave in another way. And that is, that is absolutely unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. So when we talk about the intersection of domestic violence and religion, we must remember that it's rooted in oppression. And when we take these sacred texts, that these sacred texts should be encouraging. It should give someone hope. And let me just stop for a moment. It's not only about women, because it's one in four women, one in three women that experience domestic violence. The numbers are one in seven to one in nine for men who experience domestic violence. Um, uh, the percentage of black women um, are the highest demographic that is impacted by, by domestic violence. And about 60% of cr gun violence against women is due to domestic violence. And I believe it's black women, but I don't have the stats directly um, in front of me. And so, um, so I am talking, I may be saying women and men, but that's only for brevity and for clar clarification. If you are of the LGBTQ community, if you are non-binary, if you are a man who, who are, who, who's dealing with, with abuse and in a domestic violence situation where you are being abused, I am talking to you as well. So when we have this 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 intersectionality of domestic violence and religion, what do we do about it, right? We're building community. We're talking about solutions. We're not just going to complain. And we, we laid out the facts. And now what do we do about it? Because oftentimes people, family members, they're a part of a congregation for years or their family lineage has been there for a long time. They know that their their pastor or their leader or their imam or their um, babalao or uh, priestess. They 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 know that this person is not directing uh, people who have been abused um, in a way that will save them, create space to save them, to to support them, to help them get out of their domestic violence situation. And what do we do about it? Because oftentimes when we speak out, we then put ourselves in some sort of either danger or compromising position where we're outcast from the religious institution. We might be talked about, we might be preached about, um, we may be accused of, you know, lying or, you know, start just whatever, anything negative. And, and no one wants that in their religious uh, institution, right? So how do you have a conversation with a leader who is misguiding those who are abused? One of the things that we can do is we start off slow. 
right? We 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 start off um, with having an awareness um, with having an awareness in the religious institution, right? So, like I said before, putting the number to the domestic violence hotline in the bulletin, um, having a Sunday designated to uh, domestic violence, um, having a support group in, in the church. And, and you start that way and you begin to shift the atmosphere. You may not get to the point of talking to the spiritual leader immediately, but there are other things that you can do that will lead you up to it. Because once you then be, begin to Once you begin to unveil this heinous activity and people start to come together and people start to build community, the atmosphere will shift. The, the atmosphere has an opportunity to shift. Um, and there are some that may not shift, but then you can take some further action if said person is not responding, not helping, not being supportive, not doing the things that uh, he or she should be doing um, when it comes to domestic violence. Um, challenging. Yeah, because I'm talking about domestic violence, my internet doesn't want to act right. I don't know why. don't know what's happening. So I am going to make some changes. And hopefully we can fix this so we can move on. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. When you're saying words that might not be so popular, things like this happen. So anyway, um, when you get to the point where you can confront your faith leader or have a colleague confront that particular faith leader or offer support or offer support to the faith leader. Um, there are a lot of resources out there, um, you know, healing the healers. I did a four part series with faith leaders and they talked about their own experience, men and women, and how do we then change this narrative of continuing to cover up domestic violence. So there is a, a solutions, if you will, but they're going to take time and it's going to take steps and it's going to take teaching someone the language, um, helping someone with the language of supporting those who are uh, domestic violence victims, those who are intimate partner victims. Um, it's going to take community. You don't have to do it by yourself. Get other people who are doing this work or who want to do this work or who want to support to come together and there's strength in numbers. And when enough people come out and say something, um, you know, hope it is our hope and our prayer and our faith that says that we can get through this and we can get through this together 
by offering an opportunity to save someone's life. So the intersectionality of domestic violence and religion is rooted in oppression, and we've got to stop it. We've got to remove the patriarchy, the misogyny, the misogynoir, the egos, the, the ill behaviors, the using the text to further oppress, using the text to um, exhibit heinous behavior, using the text to their personal advantage. Um, we, we can put a stop to that, but we can only put a stop to that when we are knowledge. If, if, if you don't have knowledge, if you don't have that wisdom, then what happens? Perish. <laughs> and we don't want that. We want to live and not die of the systemic ills. So thank you for joining. Um, I know this topic is not easy. It's a hard topic to, to discuss. And I hope that you will continue to find some resources so that you'll have the language to help someone when they come to you in need. Or you can build up a community to call out those who are using the text in a way that is oppressive and harmful to those who are experiencing domestic violence and in an intimate partner violent relationship. I love y'all. Thank you, brother, for my shirt, Stronger Than You Think. It inspires me all the time. And I'm going to keep telling my story and keep pushing through until everyone knows about domestic violence and we can put an end to the violence through not being silent, but speaking up and speaking out and showing compassion and support and love and active listening and prayer and faith. We can do this and we can do this together in community. This is Dr. Tad. This has been Tuesdays with Tawana. I love you dearly. Thank you for joining and I'm out. Peace.